Today, as you can see from the title of our message today, we're going to talk about how moms are awesome. And I saw a video from a few weeks ago that was perfect for Mother's Day. Absolutely perfect. All right? So, after 20 years of ministry, here's what I have found. People come in all shapes and sizes, and families come from different walks of life. Thank God, right? So I want you to check out this video because this about sums it all up, and I thought we'd watch this together, so let's watch this. You don't have to wash your hands. I have so much time to myself. Hey, walk away when I'm talking to you. My kids really respect my privacy. When this timer goes off, please turn it off and do not tell me. Thanks. Here, can you use up all my battery? Don't call me when you get there. I don't want to know where you are. It is just too quiet in this car. Okay, we're about to leave for church, so if you're going to make a huge mess, you better do it now. I don't know. Your dad usually does everything around here. All of these people are such good drivers. Eating dinner is completely optional. Hanging up your towel is completely optional. Flushing the toilet is completely optional. Okay, this time, can you smile more like a crazy lunatic? Hey, you want to dig through the fridge for the fifth time today? I'd definitely rather be here than at the beach. I am loving the look of these chips on the floor. I am loving the smell of your feet in my face. I am loving this back pain. Get a massage. Ew. No thanks. Take anything you want from my closet and don't worry about putting it back. Don't look at the camera. Look over there. If your sister takes your toy, just give her a good smack on the head. Hey, come drink that grape juice in here on the carpet. It's dinner time. Everybody come get a snack. Hey, did you know you can wear the same pair of underwear all week long? Yeah, that's the things moms never say. Massage? No way. No, I'm not interested. Anybody not interested in a massage? Ladies? One of you. Okay. Good stuff, right? We love you, moms. Happy Mother's Day from us to you. Hopefully, you guys grabbed a bulletin on your way in today. Uh, Inside, there is an outline for you to follow along with me. You can scan that QR code there as well, and you can go digital. If you got your Bible, go ahead and turn with me to the book of 1 Samuel. We're going Old Testament today. 1 Samuel, we're going to be in chapter 1 for the most of today. And so, uh, uh, while you're finding there, do you believe that moms are awesome? Okay, there's about six of you that do. Okay, we'll just let it hold right there. Well, I believe that moms are awesome. Hello, mom, if you're watching us. Uh, And uh, there are several superstar awesome moms that we find in Scripture. In fact, if we can think of some of them, we got Sarah, right? She's pretty awesome. We got Ruth. We got Elizabeth. We got Deborah. Oh, oh, Mary. Right? Awesome superstar moms. There's a couple of more out there. But what's interesting is the Bible, if you look at their stories of these particular women that I've mentioned, the Bible doesn't really talk much about their mothering skills. Okay? They're great women of faith, no doubt, but not too much about how they mothered their children. And then there was Hannah. Hannah. 
with her, the scripture gives us a nice chunk of insight into her world and her heart as a wife and a mother. And we're going to be looking at her today. And there are two principles that we're going to pull out of this story with her that are applicable to all of us, both men and women, no matter what season of life you are finding yourself in. And since it's Mother's Day... We want to slant this message a little bit more towards honoring mom. So here's the thing about Hannah that you need to get before we get going today. She was a very special mom because she dealt with a lot of crazy people in a really crazy time, and we're going to see this today, and she had a very unique home situation going on in her life. So to set all this up, about the time that Hannah was going to give birth to Samuel, the context of what's going on in Israel is this. It's a complete mess. Okay, it's the period of the judges, so there's no king in Israel yet. There's complete turmoil and confusion all over the place regarding the people's faith in God. Israel was vulnerable to the attack of the Philistines. Samson has died, and the priests were incredibly and totally corrupt. Okay, so that's where we're at. And here is Hannah living in this cultural context. It was a mess both morally and spiritually. So before we get into chapter 1, I want to let you know that over in 1 Samuel chapter 3, you don't have to turn there, but what we learn is what God actually thought of Israel during this time because of all the corruption. In in chapter 3 verse 1, it actually says this, In those days the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. In other words, church, God wasn't even interested in speaking to his own people because things were a total train wreck, as we call it at my house. And then, so here it is in the midst of this, Hannah's story takes place and God's gonna touch her life. So 1 Samuel chapter one, starting in verse one, let's read it together. There was a certain man from Remathame. How would you like to be from there? Remathame. He was a Zephite, You want to be a Zophite? Not me. From the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, an Ephraimite. Okay, now that we got through all that, verse 2, the important part is he had two wives. Now let's just stop right there. Two wives. Wives. Now, just saying, so we all get on the same page today, this is a problem. All right? Yes, we see polygamy in the Bible at places, but I want to make sure we're crystal clear today. This was never God's plan or desire. It always has been and always will be one man, one woman in marriage. That's it. Anything else other than that is sin. Are we all on the same page? Okay. So here's a complete mess, and here's Elkanah, and he has two wives. Oh, dear Lordy. So here we go. One was called Hannah, and the other was Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had none. All right. That sets it up. Now let's drop down. I want you to go with me to verse 6. And the Lord tells us why Hannah had no children. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb. So there's the why. 
And then it goes on to say, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. Okay, so imagine the scene here. Peninnah is provoking Hannah, holding up a baby, saying, don't you wish you had one of these? Aw, too bad. It's no fun being you, is it? Aw, something to that effect. You could tell Hannah was just happy about all that, right? So here's this competition that Hannah has to live with every day. And here's what's worse. It's in her own home. This whole thing is irritating her. And I'm pretty confident in my experience with people that Hannah probably felt like she was a prisoner in her own home. She's in a pretty tough situation. Her family wasn't even close to being perfect. She had an imperfect family. She had a rival in the house, and it was demanding. It was stressful. And as we're about to see, she rises above all of that chaos because she was a woman of deep faith. How did she do that? Furthermore, for us, how do we rise above all the chaos in our homes as well? And the answer is this. We need to apply the same principles that we see right here that Hannah used today. And the first one is this, to go with our awesome theme of the day. Number one in your outline is we need to have an awesome prayer life. Now, we spent eight weeks talking about prayer back in January and in February. And unfortunately, the truth is, congregation, for many people, prayer is often the emergency break. In other words, it's like when nothing else is going right, now I'll resort to praying. But as believers, it's supposed to be the complete opposite. It's supposed to be the starting point. It's not supposed to be the e-break. It's not at the end, it's at the beginning. Because prayer, we believe, can change the hardest of hearts. We believe prayer can move mountains. We believe prayer can do amazing things. And so here's Hannah. She was a person of faith and was committed to her faith. She believed that God moved when his children prayed. So now I want you to look at verse 10. Here's what it says. In her deep anguish, because of what's going on at home, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. Now get your mind about what her emotions might be right now. And here we go into verse 11, she says, or it says, and she made a vow. Now watch how she acknowledges who God is. Saying, Lord Almighty, if you will, only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son. Then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. In other words, not to look like me. Okay. So if you're new to reading the Bible, if you're new to church, you might be sitting there asking like, what does that mean? This is what's called the Nazarite vow. And this is a very strong commitment that a a, a Jewish person would make to where you would consecrate yourself 
to the Lord. You wouldn't go to celebrations or festivities or festivities and festivals and parties. You would never cut your hair. You would never drink alcohol. Essentially, you would completely give yourself to God and his value system. And in scripture, we find three people who have this Nazarite vow. We find Samson, okay? In the New Testament, we see John the Baptist. And what you're going to see here today is Hannah's son, Samuel. These are the three, okay? So here's Hannah. She's seeking and praying to God, praying and weeping and praying and weeping. And she prays, God, if you just give me a child, I will give him back to you. And I love how the text says, if you will. I love how it says that. So I want you to go ahead and circle those words, if you will. Because this says something about her spiritual maturity. Most people only pray to God when they want something from him, right? And it's typically when they want something from God, when do they want it? Right now. Is that you? I know it's sometimes me, but most people that is true. Not later, right now. And so in your outline, I wanted to point out that Hannah was mature in her faith. She had a great love for God. She trusted him. And I want you to see that she doesn't want a child for selfish reasons to get back at Peninnah. No. She's not interested in those things. She's not even interested in living vicariously through a child, like some parents out there are, okay? Her only focus was to have a child and give him back to the Lord. And parenting, as we know, as believers, congregation, when you strip back all the fluff, the goal is to take your children and help them to move from dependence on you, you know, to a relationship with Jesus. That's the goal, okay? It's not to get them to be an academic scholar. It's not to get them to be an Olympian or a professional athlete or anything else. The goal is to get them to love Jesus. And my prayer for my kids is that, and my prayer for your kids is that. That they would love Jesus more today than they did yesterday and more tomorrow than they do today. That's my prayer. I pray for them. I also pray for my kids' future spouses, that they would love Jesus. Because at the end of the day, congregation, here's the deal. Being a Christ follower is all that matters in this life. At the end of the day. All the other stuff is just really small stuff. And so Hannah, she understood this reality. And she's asking for a son, and she wants to give him back to God. Now, I want you to drop down to verse 18 with me now. Verse 18 says, she said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. So then she went on her way, and she ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Now, circle that part right there, no longer downcast. Now, why is that important? Because Hannah actually believed that God was going to hear her prayer. That's a mark of mature faith. Do you actually believe that God is going to hear your prayers? A lot of people want to believe that, but do you actually believe that, my friend? Something for you to think about. 
Now, go back a little bit to verse 12. Verse 12 says this, as she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli, now he's the priest, okay, he observed her mouth, verse 13. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. And so here is a picture of discernment of the spiritual leaders of this time. Here's what it says. Eli thought she was drunk. So here's the priest thinking that someone who is praying is drunk. Oh, that's definitely it for sure. Mm-hmm. Right? And this shows us exactly how important prayer was to Eli, by the way. I want you to look at verse 14. And so he says to her, How long are you going to stay drunk, woman? Put away your wine. Come on, lady, right? Get off the wine. It's not happy hour around here, right? But this gives us a clear picture of the spiritual condition of the leadership and the Israelites and the mess and the chaos that Hannah was living in. Her prayer was, God, would you give me a son so I can give him back to you? And the principle here for us to learn is this, is that no matter what season of life that we are in, regardless of whatever kind of chaos we have going on in our imperfect families, prayer is not at the end. It's at the beginning place. Y'all with me, congregation? It's not where you go when all else has failed, but it's the starting block before you ever move forward. Hannah had an awesome prayer life, and we need to have an awesome prayer life as well if we're going to rise above the chaos that's in our home. The second thing, number two in your outline, is we must have an awesome relational life. Now, this might sound a little bit confusing because here's Elkanah, and he has not one, but two wives. And like we've established, that's a little bit of a problem. Mm-hmm. A little bit of a problem. And still in the midst of this conflict, here's Hannah, and she had an awesome relationship with Elkanah. In fact, I read this week that many Old Testament scholars believe that the other wife, Peninnah, was just for childbearing and carrying on his own legacy and namesake. But Hannah was the woman that he actually loved. It wasn't Peninnah. Because Hannah in his heart was his true wife. In fact, when you evaluate scripture and you can see that they had a really good relationship. So let's go back now to verse 3 and we'll look at that. Verse 3 of 1 Samuel 1 says, Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship. So here we know that Elkanah is religious. And they, they say that the, from where they lived to where they went to was about a 200-mile trip. Because as you can see in Scripture here, they went to sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh. Now, if you say, well, where's Shiloh? Shiloh is about 20 miles or so north of Jerusalem. And uh, it was Israel's first capital city. It's where the tabernacle was. And so, so they make their journey a couple hundred miles. They go there, and Scripture says it's where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord as well. So here's this principle, and I need you to get this today, all right? You see in your outline, the marital relationship superseded every other earthly relationship. Now, moms and dads, You have to resist the temptation to let the kids become CEO of your house, okay? 
Back in 2004, Ed Young, he wrote a book called Kids CEO, How to Keep Your Children from Running Your Life. Highly recommend the book because here's what happens. When the kids run the house, when the kids are running the show, mom and dad actually drift apart. And that's not a place you want to become or you want to find yourself in. And so the thing that we take from Hannah's story right here is this, that the best gift that we can give our kids is a picture of a healthy marriage. Not stuff, not an education, not even a trade, but demonstrate what a healthy marriage is and what it looks like. Now you may ask me, why is that, Pastor Wayne? Why is that the thing to focus on? Because the home is the institution where your kids are going to be formatted and shaped for life. They're only going to be small one time. See, the home is where they will learn reconciliation. What does that even look like? Is it godly or worldly? And if I want it to be godly, how do I do that? In the home is where they will learn communication skills or a lack of communication skills with other people. How do I do that? Especially in some people's homes where there's step-parents and there's two or three different ideas going on. In the home is where kids will learn what love is, healthy or unhealthy. In the home is where they will learn what integrity is, or a lack of it. In the home is where they're going to learn the love of Scripture, and a commitment to God's church, and serving in the church, and again, or a lack of it. Parents, honestly, and I know we don't like hearing this, but our kids are not paying close enough attention to what we're saying. They're just not. But you know what they are paying attention to? What you do. That's the truth. And they're paying, paying very close attention to that. And they're watching everything that you do. And so Elkanah and Hannah, they knew this, right? And so that is why the text says they worship the Lord together. They worship together because the worship of God was a priority to them. And in our world today, when kids see mom and dad prioritizing the Lord, you know what happens? Good stuff. When they see him prioritizing his word, good stuff happens. When they see... The parents prioritizing God's church, it's good stuff. We call it a blessing from God. Now I want you to look at verse 5. But Hannah, but to Hannah he gave a double portion. Here's why, because he loved her. This gives us some insight into how important Hannah was to Elkanah. You see, in those days, they would go to worship and, and they would bring an offering. And they would sacrifice for sin and those sorts of things. And then the priest would get a cut for himself of the sacrifice. And then he would use some for his family. And then he would use some for the ministry of the tabernacle and the temple to help with benevolence needs and those things. But a majority of the income would stay in the home. And so Elkanah, he's got two wives. Hannah gets a double portion. While Peninnah and all the kids get a single portion portion. Now, why does this happen? Because this is Elkanah's way of saying publicly to Hannah, I love you. You're my girl. You're special to me. And because today's Mother's Day, my friends, this is a great day to kind of check our own homes. We need to check our own family flow charts, and we need to ask ourselves this question. Are we doing things God's way? 
So I'd like for you to think about your home life real quick. Does, does your family flow chart match God's flow chart? What is God's flow chart? I'm glad you asked. It's actually right there in your outline. God's flow chart, number one, is God first, right? Have no other gods before me. Don't make any idols, those types of things. And then number two, your spouse. Number three, your kids. And number four, career. Family. Don't get those out of order. Because when you do, it's not a good thing. If you want God to bless your home, it has to be this way like you see on the screen. It has to be. Otherwise, you're putting the cart in front of the horse. And you'll miss out on God's blessing. So take your cue from Hannah and Elkanah. But you might be saying, well, Pastor Wayne, what about my job, man? We talked about that a couple weeks ago. God is your provider, my friend. It's not your job. It's not you. It's God. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be added unto you. So I just want to encourage you. Hear me, my friends. Do things God's way. Y'all with me on that? All right. Prayer is the starting block. Hannah had an awesome prayer life. Prioritize your family and do things God's way so you can have an awesome relational life. Use God's flow chart. God is number one, spouse number two, children number three, Jod number four. Y'all got that? All right, good. Number three. Now we'll have a little bit of fun together. Number three is we must show our appreciation toward our awesome mother and wife. Now, Proverbs 31 is a great chapter, okay? Proverbs 31 is the chapter of a godly woman. Now, in your notes, you can look at uh, verse 10 with me real quick here. It says, a wife of noble character who can find. She is worth far more than rubies. Now, verse 11. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. Now, I personally, congregation, I believe that the reason why verse 10 and 11 are true is because verse 28 in the same chapter, here's what verse 28 says. Her children arise and what? Call her blessed. So you have positive affirmation taking place here. By the way, that is gold. That is gold when husbands and wives Call the woman blessed. Because see, when that happens, when there's positive affirmation in the house, the woman actually rises to a whole new level of security. And the text goes on to say right here, her husband also, and he praises her. Now, guys, this is not something that we're supposed to do just on Mother's Day. Right? It's supposed to be every day. We got to let our awesome wives and our awesome moms know that we appreciate them. So, the reason why is so that we can give them the emotional support that they need. 93% of women are feeling guilty and negative emotions because of a lack of support emotionally in the house. We've got to do better than that. So here's what I want us to do. If you are a mom, a stepmom, a foster mom, a wannabe mom, a soon-to-be mom, or any kind of mom that has a mom or a woman that has a mom, if that is you, 
Here's what I'd like for you to do. On the count of three, I'm going to ask you to stand right where you are. And if you can't stand, stand in spirit. Okay? You ready? One, two, three. Moms, would you just please stand and just hold for a second? Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, Richard. Hold on. I'm conducting up here. All right. So, gents, we see all these awesome moms and wives. Now, gentlemen, this is our opportunity to show appreciation for our awesome moms and wives. We're going to let them know how much we appreciate them. So here's what we're going to do. On the count of three, I would like you to go ahead and go absolutely crazy with our appreciation. We're going to raise the volume up to 11 on a scale of 1 to 10, if you see what I'm saying. We're going to blow the roof off this place, and we're going to let all those people who are watching us live in Arizona hear us today, okay? So I want you to go crazy. You ready, guys? One, two, three. Tell those women you love them. Come on, gentlemen. Come on. Awesome, awesome. Ladies, you may be seated. We appreciate you. We love you. And, uh, and you are incredibly important to our lives. Men, you now know what to do tomorrow. All right? The women in our lives, they need us to emotionally support them. So that's our role. That's what God calls us to do. Now, I want you to come with me, everybody. Let's go back to Hannah and Elkanah now. Go back to... Go back to our chapter now. What's going to happen is in verse 19, and it's not in your notes, but here's what it says. Early the next morning, they arose, and they worshiped before the Lord, and then they went back to their home in Ramah. And Elkanah made love to his wife, Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So Hannah's prayers were heard. She received an extra special blessing from God, and she got pregnant. They had a son. They named him Samuel. Now look with me at verse 24. Scripture says, After he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an epoch of flour, and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And when the bull had been sacrificed, they brought the boy to Eli. Now this is the same priest who a few years earlier thought she was crazy and drunk. And now I want you to read between the lines of what the text says here in verse 26. Here's what it says. And she said to him, pardon me, my Lord, as surely as you live, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. Plenty of commentary there. (laughs) Here's what she's implying. You're the priest. You're the one that should have been praying for me. You're the one that should have been believing that God would hear my prayers. You should have been praying for me, an ordinary woman. But no, you called me drunk. Verse 27. I prayed for this child. And the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life, 
he will be given over to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. So here's Hannah. She was dedicated to God, and because of that, she was dedicated and committed to her husband. And because of that, she was dedicated and committed to being an amazing mother to her son. And because of that, she dedicated Samuel to the Lord. And in chapter 2, verse 18, the word of God tells us something really cool about Samuel. It says, when Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy. What that tells us is Samuel was probably five to seven years of age at this time. Did he have any idea what ministering was? He absolutely did. How could this happen? How could a boy of five to seven years of age know what ministry was? Real simple. It wasn't because he had some sort of special power or gift. Mm -mm. All it was was he watched his parents be obedient to God. That's it. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree, folks. And so you can see in your outline, the takeaway idea that I have for you this week is this. I encourage you, put this into your mind this week. Spiritual influence is caught in the home. It's not just taught. So let's just wrap this up, all right? How is your prayer life going, my friend? Honestly, how's it really going? How's your relational life with your spouse going? Men, how are you doing with giving positive affirmation? Remember, it's the necessary emotional support to your wife or to your mom. 93% of women are feeling inadequate because there's a lack of emotional support going on at home. This is the very thing that she needs from you. The very thing. How are you doing with that? I know you love your wife and I know you love your mom and God has given us the task, men, to support these women in our life. How are we doing with that? I know we all have imperfect families. Mine is just as imperfect as yours. We've all messed up. We've, we've dropped the ball in these three areas and we might sometimes feel like we're just a total failure, but we're not. You know why we're not? Because God is for us. We talked about that last week. He's for our marriages. He's for our families. And he wants desperately to come around us and strengthen our homes. And if we will let him, and if we will think about these scriptures that we looked at today about Hannah's story here, it gives us some truth. And if we let that come into our homes and in our lives, we will be better for that. So I'm telling you, my friends, this sermon series that we're going to do for the next five weeks through Father's Day, Our Imperfect Family, we're going to address how imperfect our families are. And each week, we're going to be challenged to get honest and to get real. We've got to get real with ourselves. We've got to get real with our family members. We've got to get real with God. And if we really want to have positive change to actually happen in our homes, we're going to have to allow God to penetrate into the corners. We're going to have to let him see inside the closets and look under the rug. Mm -hmm. 
It's going to have to actually happen. So let's just lay everything before him. All right, nothing hidden. And when we do, it will be at that point, right there, that God meets us right where we are. He'll begin to do his miraculous work in our lives and in our family's lives. And he'll begin to build us up. He'll show us what Jesus looks like, and he will mold us and shape us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. That's what this goal of this sermon series is. God wants to help us grow in faith and in hope and in love. I know that you want that. I know that you want God to do something miraculous in in your home. So, as we start this sermon series, my friends, let's learn from Hannah and what we read today. You got that? All right, I'm going to ask you to stand and pray with me this morning, would you? Father, we just come before you. We lay our lives and our, and our homes right at your feet right now, God. We thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for us to mold us and shape us into you, your image at this point in our life, God, and we don't want to stop. We want to come after you. Lord, we want to be like you. So God, today, we lay at your feet our prayer life. Some of us in this room, we have not been very good at prayers. We, we don't have an awesome prayer life, but Lord, our heart is to do that. So God, I pray right now for myself and for everybody in this room and watching us online, God, that you would help us to deepen our prayer life. Lord, get into us. Draw us to your spirit, God. We want to know you at a deeper level. Help us to read your word more. Help us to connect with you and and abide in you. Because God, apart from you, we can do nothing, your word says. So Lord, we want to be connected to you. God, also, we pray now for our relationships. God, that in our homes, we would relationally connect with our children and our spouses. And our family members who live outside of our homes. Because they are family. So Lord, we want to connect in a way that honors you. So, Lord, help us to get our flow chart in the right order. Lord, I'm praying for every family in this room. Lord, we want to prioritize you. So, God, give us the strength to do that. Lastly, God, we pray for the women in our life on this special Mother's Day. God, that we would support them and appreciate them more often than we do. Lord, I speak to myself first and foremost on this. God, help me to support my wife and to support my daughter and my mom in a way that I've never done before. So God, I pray for myself. I pray for every man in this room. Lord, we would honor you this way. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for what you've done for us. And if there's anybody in this room today who doesn't know Jesus as Lord, you can know the King of kings and the Lord of lords just by simply bowing your knee to Christ, admitting that you are a sinner in need of grace, Believing that Jesus died on the cross for your sin and rose again on the third day and confessing him as Lord. Because the Bible says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So if that's you today, I want to pray for you and just say, Lord Jesus, draw these people to you today. We love you. We thank you. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. We lift you now up, Lord, in worship because you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We give you this time in Christ's name. Let's worship. Amen.